Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey hustlers, we know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part: the cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph/payrollstartermonthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode, so click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share podcast is brought to you by PDAX. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co/hustleshare-pdax. Also powered by Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code HUSTLESHARE. There's going to be heaps of moving forces when it comes to your clientele. And so for us, having that demand-driven paradigm or that framework, we're growing quite organically. We have adapted to a lot of nature's natural strategies on, on how things evolve naturally. Welcome to HUSTLESHARE. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here is your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustler Podcast. We are again super excited because I've been using this app not personally uh, because my team always beats me to it. And shout out to Gretchen Largoza. Of uh, of AdSmart, who told me about this around mid-year next last year, because again I was just saying, hey Gretchen, how do you cope with with all these mental health problems of people? Because before again, I'm, it's not taboo 
but it just became more you know uh, needed in this time of day during the pandemic where people are stuck at home and whatnot and the one solution that she told me that helped her team out in AdSpark and 917 Ventures is this app called MindDeer. So again, if we were able to use it and it's doing great results for us in Podcast Network Asia, it's about damn time that we get the founder and CEO of Mind You, Mr. Yuri Marshall. Welcome to the show, Yuri. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate it. All right. Again, um, we're a user and we love what you guys do. And again, we happen to be also working together on this really amazing podcast that you have called an open mind just just so happened to be the number one podcast in the philippines for a while right so when we launch it so amazing but before i get carried away i need to ask you the million dollar question yuri what's your hustle it's a great question ron um personally i uh i, I veered away from the word hustle so my my labor of love okay. is uh, basically ensuring that we establish a, a mental health organization in the Philippines mm-hmm. that unifies the industry. I think that is the main goal for us uh, in the Philippines is to provide mental health services uh, of a high quality level yeah. and create accessibility and affordability for Absolutely. Filipinos. And because there is a big stigma about this in the Philippines, uh, prior to you guys doing it, there's, there's not, uh, there's not a lot of shrinks that you can access and whatnot before, again, without, without your app. Because again, by default, Philippines is a country that you don't like, ah, you know what, just slap it out, just fucking drink it out or whatnot. Because, you know, there's no, the, the problems don't get addressed. They get swept under the rug. But in reality, there's so much uh, issues yet getting swept under the rug. And again, this pandemic just blew that out of proportion, like the multiverse unraveling. But before we unravel the whole multiverse, I need you to buckle up, my man, because we're going to have to ride. The Hustle Share Time Machine. All right. Now we're, I think we ended up way down under. There you go. And I want to understand, <laughs> uh, Yuri, uh, again, uh, when we do ride a time machine, I want to go all the way back to how you started first hustling. And again, I am a strong believer. I've been doing this for almost three years now that no entrepreneur is born. It, uh, they're all made. And uh, the earlier your influences are in terms of hustling and, entre- and then entrepreneurship, the better, I guess, the results typically show earlier in life. But how was that like for you growing up? Again, if, if you grew up in Australia, again, I think you have a Filipino uh, heritage as well. Can you uh, explain to me how that was like and what was the early hustles you remember doing? This is a great question. I, I actually, no one's really asked me this, this question um, publicly. Mm. Uh, so first thing to clarify is I actually grew up in Papua New Guinea. Oh, wow. For the first 18 years of, of my life. So mm. my two parents are from Mindanao, both Filipino. Wow. And they had migrated to Papua New Guinea back in um, 1974 which at the time actually was an Australian territory. It, had, right. it hadn't um, obtained its uh, independence yet. Correct. So I, I guess when we look at, the, look at where my um, entrepreneurial spirit started, I think it started in high school, to be frank. Okay. Um, my, my biological father passed away when I was 10. And so oh, no. uh, my mom <clears throat> was a single mom for a while. And I think, I think honestly... 
not that I did this consciously. Uh, this is probably just me being a kid, you know, figuring out like, you know, what's my purpose? Just me and me and mom. Uh, I actually had a number of different businesses in, uh, in high school. Wow. Uh, back in those days. So I, I turned 40 last year, but back in those days, you do we were not still look using... 40. I swear to God, I look older <laughs> than you and you 40. What? So unfair. Okay, go. All right. <laughs> it's the Mindanao blood. That's, that's, that's the secret. <laughs> that's the secret. Uh-huh. Um, so back then we, we had cassette tapes. So my, my first hustle, I guess, was I used to take orders from my classmates or from students in high school okay. to make mixtapes. And so I would actually mm. sit by the radio and wait for the song to come on. And then I would hit record and I would create a mixtape wow. and then I would, I would repackage it and then, and sell it for a profit. Um, that was one of my first hustles. And then closer to the end of high school, I started a dance crew. Wow. Uh, no one asked me to dance nowadays. Like I cannot mm. dance, but <laughs> I used to have a hip hop dance crew in, in high school and I would actually go to the nightclubs and, and market mm. our services. <laughs> wow. And unbelievably, you, you have to imagine this is, you know, before the two thousands, this is 1998, 1999. Mm. Um, the nightclubs would hire this young high school group to do, you know, dance performances at the nightclub. So that was another one of my hustles back then. Mm-hmm. Were you even legal to even get to those nightclubs? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Don't ask any questions. It was Papua New Guinea. Uh, the, the laws were very flexible back then. <laughs> right. And again, Papua New Guinea, very interesting story because I, I am a geography and history junkie, right? And eventually they obtained the same um, uh, independence from Australia. And whatnot, but again, there Papua New Guinea just to, to define the island itself. It's divided into two, similar to how Dominican Republic and uh, Haiti is, but it's, it's here in Southeast Asia. This, the the western half is Papua, which is in Indonesia, and Correct. Papua New Guinea is uh, the one that's basically in Oceania. But in reality, it's just one island with again a lot of ethnic uh, things and. Growing up there, where I think it's not one of the most developed countries in the world, how do you hustle per se? Just again, these hip hop things and whatnot, but this is not a life of abundance and say compared it to the nearest metropolises down down south, like Sydney, Canberra, Melbourne, you know, these it's totally different. How did you then develop that confidence and that, that strive to achieve more considering it's not the most advanced countries in the world. That's true. I, you have to also imagine that, you know, this is the eighties and the nineties. So yeah. the, you know, the disparity between technology of Papua New Guinea and the neighboring countries, I mean, mm. in terms of technology itself, wasn't so, wasn't so vast. Right. Um, you know, we were all still using wired telephones, Right. with the dial, the round dial, uh, there was no mobile phones. Um, internet was kind of coming into its own back then. It was dial up internet. We were still using fax machines. Wow. <laughs> so wow. even my first, my first business, when I did move to Australia, I was using a fax machine mm-hmm. still for my major, um, you know, mode of communication, uh, right. if I needed to send a document. So, I mean, actually, I, I didn't feel, I guess I only knew what I knew living in the mm. country. I, I didn't feel like I was technologically disadvantaged. Uh, I had a very strong um, Bisaya Filipino mother, always instilled <laughs> confidence in me. You know, right. I guess being a single mother and she's, mm. 
you know, hustle, her herself is hustling in this country. Right. And so, you know, she would give me a lot of affirmations, you know, mm. you can do it. Nothing can stop you. Um, you know, you're better than everyone else as a, yeah. you know, cause I, I was going to school with all these other kids. She, she would always mm. talk me up. So I, I owe it all to her really. Uh, she, she was the backbone of my confidence back then. And then mm. she, she eventually got remarried to my now Australian stepfather who mm. I consider as my real dad. Mm. Um, you know, he was there during the difficult years of the, towards the end of high school. Right. So yeah, it was a combination of, of, of mom and mm. my very pragmatic, very practical, very tepid, uh, Australian father. There you go. Uh, that's mm. uh, again, that's very Asian of him too. If, if, if he, I don't know how he got it done, but again, you gotta get, you gotta be frugal if you are going to get an, a tiger mom as a wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think Australians are very frugal to be honest. Uh, mm. They're very practical human beings. You know, they, they're very handy with the, with their, um, with their hands. Right. They, they fix things at home. They do things by themselves. They're very self-sufficient. You know, having maids and and cooks and drivers is is something that's extremely rare right. uh, in Australia. So yeah, it's it's a very fascinating environment. Which is a formative again habit that will come in handy, especially as you go into business. Because if you are frugal and you know how to handle your money, and you don't rely on 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 people to be able to get the little things done, and you're you have that attitude from an early age, that will literally come in handy when you go into business. Now, walk us through um, again your college days and your fish out of water mo- moment. Right. So I was also raised by a tiger mom, single mom. I'm an only child. Right. And wow. The stakes are high. Okay. Yep. You can't F it up. Right. Because if, if you have this and again, you know how tiger moms are, it's uh, as, as much as mental health works uh, like that. Th- th- there's no such thing as a mental health with a tiger mom. You got to deliver. <laughs> right. Because yes. it's only her way or the highway. And there's no room for things. Some people buckle into under that pressure and they end up being you know, rebellious and, you know, just, just being the, the, the opposite of what their mom wants or their parent want to be, or some people rise to the challenge as they discover that ability that, Hey, you know what, maybe I am good enough that maybe I can be that, that special person that my mom always thought I could be. How did you discover that? And what were the early signs that you, you know, developed uh, into that role as you got more comfortable in your own skin, because we don't have, that doesn't happen overnight. For me, um, at least I developed confidence by being able to speak English very well. I did not speak like this before. And um, I worked in a call center. Uh, I was a telemarketer, first year college, and that's rare for Filipinos. They don't work early. And um, but through <laughs> that, it's a life skill that allowed me to then carry this on all the way 12, 13 years after that allowed me to do what I do now. But what were those experiences that were formative for you to build that confidence and realize your full potential? I think the the turning point for me to when my confidence really started to present itself in um, many areas of my life was when my stepfather really stepped in and started to provide me with some strict uh, kind of framework, I guess. He was a strict dad. Um, I when my mom was a single mom, I guess I, I, you know, I was going through my own mental health challenges as a kid. Now that I look back, I didn't realize at the time I never got counseling after my father passed away. Mom didn't believe in any of that, even though the hospital said, Oh, he should see someone or you should see someone. She kind of just swept it all under the rug. Then when he came on the scene, 
he could kind of see that my mom wasn't handling uh, a single young boy on her own very well. And so he really came in and, you know, was very strict. You had, I had to study. Um, he monitored, he actually, one of the greatest things he did for me at the time was he monetized my results. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, a smart man. I don't know. I don't know whether he did that consciously or not. Uh, but you know, I was, a uh, I was plagued as a C or D student mm. all the way up till about year nine. Wow. And then my dad basically said, Hey, you got to turn things around. Number one, I need you to go find someone in high school that's doing really well. And I want you to be friends with him. And I was like, I didn't understand, you know, the logic behind that back then. Mm -hmm. But so I, I went out and did that. And then secondly, he, he made a promise to me. He's like, for every A that you bring back, I'm going to give you a hundred Kina. It's a, it's a, it's the currency wow. there for every B that you bring back. I'll give you 50 Kina. And then if you bring back any tests, like, and you get a hundred percent on your tests, I'll give you an additional, whatever it is. So you incentivize your education. And again, not knowingly, because that's important in life. You need to be, you need to surround yourself with winners that are again, above your weight class. So eventually you become like them. Exactly. Exactly. And actually that, that friend that I sought out at the time ended up becoming my best friend. Um, mm. He was a super nerd. Under, uh, unbelievable human being. I want to do a shout out to him. His name's Ash Ariel. He's the CEO and founder of uh, Quantum Links over in the United States. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he really taught me how to properly study. But he was a, a master um, academic student. You know, he, he wasn't the type that would study every single day, every single week. He's very efficient. He's like, you study two weeks before your examination, one day before your examination cram all of your assignments in like one or two nights. And I went from a CD student all the way to an, basically a, basically a straight A student um, mm, in my final years wow. of high school. And I ended up getting a scholarship uh, to a private university in Australia. Nice. And so it was, it was a full turnaround actually. And mm. because of just those changes that my stepdad brought into my life, you know, my confidence just started stacking on top there of each go. other. Yeah. All right. So, Blazing through college, what, did you do any side hustle while being a scholar or did you just focus on college and how did that help you then to your first few jumps? So one of, one of the conditions in order for me to go to university from my stepdad was that I had to hold down a job. Mm. So my, my stepdad actually didn't believe in university immediately after high school. So my stepdad and my, my mom were fighting a lot. My Filipino mom was like, excuse me, this is my Asian child. You have to go to university. <laughs> have to. You know, it's, it's blasphemous. <laughs> the Lord will look down on him you know, with disgrace. And so uh, my dad was like, no, hang on a second. How does a high school student know what they even want to do in life? We can't just force him to go to university. But my incentive for wanting to go to university was because I would be able to leave home. <laughs> so because I was going to leave Papua New Guinea to go to Australia. So me, I wanted to go to university, not so much for the education, but I just wanted to get out of home. Right. Just live on my own. So when he gave me the terms and conditions, like I need to hold down a full-time job, I'm like, whatever it is, I'll, I'll take it. So, gotcha. mm -hmm. so yeah, I was, um, I, at the time I was doing some work experience at the Australian embassy in Papua New Guinea. And I asked my boss, at the time, and I said, my dad's not going to send me to uni unless I have a full-time job. So she actually hooked me up with a full-time job in Australia. And what was it? I was working for the Department of Immigration for the Australian government. Oh, wow. 
Yes. That is so, amazing. For a first job, I mean, you've already been doing a, a, a job in Papua New Guinea, but for you to work and now have to sustain yourself and even do uni at the same time, that's a totally, and in a whole, again, still pretty similar cultures, but this is the real Australia now that you're going to have to mm-hmm. do. How difficult was it and how did you do for, for all those responsibilities that you had? In, initially, I was a bit like, anxious i guess on how i was going to balance everything but my understanding of university was from what my mom had told me and so university in the philippines is is a little bit like high school where you're there all day every day yeah but uh university in australia was very different you would have four subjects per semester uh one lecture per week per subject and sorry two lectures per week per subject and one tutorial so three touch points times four there was about um 12 uh, wow. touch points to go to university. So what I did was I crammed my entire university schedule because you can choose which lectures and tutorials you want to go to. Mm. I crammed it all into two days. Okay. Right? So which was, I believe, initially was a Wednesday and a Thursday. Okay. And I had Monday, Tuesday, and Friday all available for full-time work. Nice. So I negotiated with my employer and I said, hey, would it be okay if I you know, could actually still go to university whilst maintaining this job? So I did move from full-time to part-time. I'm not going to lie. It was extremely difficult actually trying to, trying to study and, and work at the same time. But I, I actually implemented all of the same hacks, I guess, study hacks um, that my friend in high school taught me. So I, I actually did quite well. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's important because again, I can relate. I, I've done this, but again, in a call center here, I only had three hours of sleep five days a week. We have to go to the university four hours and then I had a full-time eight-hour job, nine hours, including a break, uh, at Graveyard just to, to make ends meet. But I discovered so much about myself of how I can actually push myself to the limit and really discover that, oh, okay, so I can be this good. I can, I can be able to take this punishment. And there's something about being young that your body can actually cope with that much punishment, right? <laughs> yes. um, and then eventually, again, um, you fail, you, you, you succeed eventually, but then you come up and you have a a taste of real world where here in the Philippines, most of the people that go to college, they've never even, even done an internship or if they did, they Mm. just, you know, lollygag through that (laughs) and they go into the workforce, a blank slate and they have no idea where they need to go. You get a head start in life. Now with that head start, what were the first few things you did out of college? So I'd, I'd like to, also uh, add to the story mm-hmm. is that um, the first uni- university I went to, I successfully completed about a year and a half, almost two years, but then I eventually moved cities. Mm-hmm. And then I, I transferred to a, another university, but uh, I had a lot of epiphanies back then. My high school best friend at the time went through some personal development courses, Tony Robbins. Okay. Wow. And he actually started his business very young. And I, I started seeing him succeed and he basically called me one day and said, what, what, why are you doing university? (laughs) And I, and so I, I kind of engaged in a conversation with him and short story is I dropped out of university. Uh, I took a massive risk. I I initially dropped out and didn't didn't tell my mom. (laughs) Oh man, that's a big, (laughs) because, because I was worried. I was like, okay, she's, she's Filipino and, and she's, she's going to be extremely no, she, upset. Not just Filipina, she's Bisaya. That's a different <laughs> thing about Bisayan women raising kids. Yes. 
right? Especially from Mindanao. Very yep. thick-skinned, mm -hmm. very strong women out there. My mom is Warai. That is death uh, waiting for you, <laughs> technically. <laughs> yes. So, oh, man. So you dropped out. What did you do? I decided actually to, to get into the business that was related to my experience. You know, I was working for the Department of Immigration at the time okay. as a public servant, uh, government worker. And I would okay. see these applications come in from lawyers and from migration agents. And I was looking at these applications going, are they really charging for this type of work? Wow. Because like, and, and I was working in the, in the government for a couple of years. And so when I, when I left um, university, Initially, I tried to get a promotion in the government, but because it's government, they've got a lot of red tape, you need yep. qualifications. I was super young. I looked like 14, even though I was 20. <laughs> and, you know, I basically didn't get any promotion. So I, I got really upset as a, as a young kid. And I was like, you know, mm. screw you guys. I'm, I bought a suit. I went into the city, bought a, bought a suit, which I thought was an awesome suit, but it was actually quite cheap. And then... <laughs> I basically, I printed out like a hundred resumes. I went to every single law firm in the city, sent my resume to everywhere, everyone. And I said, Hey, I'm coming straight out of the department of immigration. I have all of the internal workings and internal knowledge. I know all the loopholes in the legislation. Who wants me? <laughs> That's basically what I did. And, um, I, an agency, a law firm picked me up. They picked me up and said, okay, we're interested. We're interested and we'll pay you X amount of dollars for every case that you manage. And I'm like, fantastic. And so I was with them for about a year. And then I realized that the way they ran business was just so disorganized. And I was like, I can do this myself. I can do this myself. And so I did. I, I ended up starting my own uh, agency at the time. And it just basically, that was the starting point. It, it grew from that point. Now, again, working for someone and war, uh, taking the first leap, you know, a lot of people don't make it out. And again, it's fish out of water because we start, especially if you're working for an institution and then you start doing it on your own, you think, you know, but you have no idea <laughs> Very true. through that. This is my third startup now podcast network Asia. And man, I still learn new things that I thought I knew. But again, again, every single time your startup just finds a way to smack you in the face and humble you. But the totally first one, agree. <laughs> typically, you know, that's a knockout haymaker you're going to get punched with. What was that like for you? It was, it's exactly as, as you mentioned, you know, I, I thought I could do it on my own. And, I, and when I realized I started a business, I, I very soon uh, came to the conclusion that, oh my God, running a business <laughs> is extremely difficult yeah. and you don't have a paycheck coming in anymore. Yeah, and so you're like, okay, like this is legit proper hustling. Like I need to close a sale in order to survive. And so I, again, I was super, super lucky that my best mate at the time convinced me to get into personal development. Um, and I, I don't know if you or the viewers know about Tony Robbins. Yep. Um, Tony Robbins back in the day, wasn't very well known as he is, as he is today. Yep. And he used to do his seminars in smaller rooms with like, you know, how many heads? 30 to a hundred people. Oh, wow. okay. Like these days you have like 5,000 people yeah. in his seminars. All screaming and jumping and, and exactly, doing exactly. stuff. My cup of tea. Exactly. Right. My cup of tea. And so that's actually where I learned a lot of my initial business skill sets was through Tony Robbins. He had a, 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 a program back in the day called power to influence, which was his sales program. Mm. And so 
that actually taught me how to sell at a very young age. And so most important I, skill of an entrepreneur. The most important skill to ever, for anyone wanting to do business. Like it's, it's yes. sales. Like if you cannot close a sale, no. you're just dead in the water. You might <laughs> yes. as well throw the anchor in. You're not yep. going anywhere. Exactly. Um, that was it. That, that, that was, that, it was difficult, mate, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank God for Tony Robbins. I, I had the, it gave me a lot of resiliency. Um, and my resilience, my resiliency was tested, you know, through many different experiences in life with my dad's death, right. my strict father coming in, um, oh. doing the startup on my own. Mm-hmm. And then, and then learning how to be resilient, emotionally resilient through his programs, Tony's programs. Uh, that, that created a really strong foundation for me. So I was making a lot of mistakes. Yep. But uh, when I look back now, I really needed to make those mistakes. Absolutely. And again, the most important thing is if you already know how to get back up. Because most people also wilt under pressure. And that first thing is, like, ah, they'll cave in and they'll never try again. Get it? Exactly, exactly. And my, and my mom was actually quite supportive. I was actually very surprised when I actually ponied up to her and I said, Hey, uh, by the way, I dropped out of university about six months ago. And I've now been starting, I've now got a business running. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought she was going to be really, really tough on me. But you know, she I think the shock uh, got put her into a state where she was, you know, just questioning me like, Okay, well, what's the business? What are you doing? Where are you living? You know, are you okay? Uh, but eventually, eventually when she she learned what I was doing, you know, she was really cool about it. She was like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, that you better do it right. Yeah, because once you do earn that respect, she'll be your number. I mean, she, she'll always be the number one fan. And I had to go through this similar path where, you know, uh, you know, it felt like I had to deliver more because I had to impress my mom to, to prove to her that this is going to work. Uh, more than I need to like keep the business afloat and, and make it survive. But all right, let's take our first break. And when we come back, let's now talk about what you did next, all the way to how you created Mind You and created this amazing, amazing app that thousands and thousands of the Filipinos are using to help them with their mental health struggles. But let's talk about that more after the break. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact 24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch 
at SASConPH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at sasschallenge.ph. That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back in the break. We are still with Yuri Marshall, who then told us the similarities of our paths of being raised by tiger women and being able to, again, uh, jump and, you know, start our own business. But again, even though we, uh, you, you did go through a lot of these um, uh, challenges at the, at, the, at the start, eventually you're going to have to have a breakthrough or a big failure, either of the two or both. What was that like for you in this, this, this path, especially in your agency? You've learned how to sell, but now, you know, you got to deliver because the, 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 the bills keep coming. And especially if you have a team, you know, payroll is the scariest thing every time, right? So <laughs> how did you then create that momentum and what are the biggest mistakes that you did not see coming while you're doing this? Mm. I was... I would have to say that the biggest challenge for me at the time was more about my life circumstances as opposed to the business. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very pragmatic when it comes to business. So, and I'm a really good salesperson. Uh, go. So when I was young, I almost no one slipped through my fingers. You know, I was very passionate. I was very genuine. I really wanted to help and I was good at my craft. Um, mm. Very high success rate. So, mm. It really wasn't so much that, but I, I had gotten married at a young age, which led to a divorce. And oh. that that kind of broke me. That that broke me. Um, there was at one point I had 42 cents in the bank account. Oh, you know, no. um, yeah, it was it was very emotionally tough. It led to a lot of mental health issues, which, again, at that time, I I wasn't um, very accepting of it. I didn't see anyone at the time. Um, I guess the, the Filipino in me swept it under the rug. Yeah. That strong Mindanao blood was just like, no, I got this, you know, like, yeah. But in reality, it's, you know, it, you, you have some really deep uh, cuts, right. That never healed. Correct. Correct. So, you know, I, I had to go through a lot more personal development at the time. Okay. And around that time, I, I really started to look into other, other mentors. And so that included Deepak Chopra, John D. Martini, wow. um, you know, and still Tony Robbins and, and through the Tony Robbins network, it connected me with, with other mentors kind of in that space of uh, personal and professional development. So I, I really, really dived deep into that to kind of find my own recovery path. Got it. But how did you get out of the rut? You know, I mean, uh, it's easier said than done because I also went through a similar thing. Uh, my first startup that I did, it was, a, for, it was my thesis in college. I did that for six years. Eventually that failed. Imagine six years of hustling, trying to survive, trying to make it through. And then everything is going to take him, you know, it's going to crumble down and, you know, all that hard work down the drain. Um, mm. But eventually, again, as a hustler, you know, especially if you're, you're good at sales, it's inevitable. You're going to try to find your way back up because nobody's going to help you and you can't be, keep sorry for being sorry for yourself. How was that like for you? So what, what happened was after I had gotten divorced, I actually, because I was 
you know, financially destitute at the time. Mm-hmm. I actually moved. I was living in a in a in a home in a sub- suburban area in Australia. Okay. And I moved into a what's called a granny flat. Okay. And so I guess that's basically I lived in the back of someone's house who had converted kind of this garage storage area into a living space. Okay. And so I, I moved in there. It was oh, wow. super cheap. I had to really cut my costs down. Right. But at um, least it's shelter and you didn't have to go home. It, right. it was shelter. Uh, it was kind of in a more rougher neighborhood. But I actually, you know, what turned it around for me at the time was I, I met a, an amazing woman who ended up becoming my partner at the time. And she, she was um, young and ambitious and she kind of looked at my business, which was very brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about 25, 30 years ago. Okay. Sorry, not 25 years ago. I, I'm not 60. <laughs> uh, we're talking about, about, about 15 years ago. There you go. I was like, oh, the math didn't add up. Like you said you were 40, man. <laughs> yeah. But 12 to 15 years ago, I'm super vague with my, uh, with my okay. age here. All right. So she, she kind of looked at my brick and, brick and mortar business and said, you know, you're living in the dinosaur ages. And I'm like, excuse me? She's like, yeah, you know, the, there is digital marketing now. We can get leads online. And I'm like, and to me, that was just, that was just hippie talk. Okay. <laughs> you know, I had ads in the newspaper, I had ads on billboards, things like that. Very, very manual so she kind of actually digitized and modernized uh, my business at the time and ended up becoming a business partner. Nice. And that, that was the turnaround for me. So the, the coping mechanism for me was to really cut my costs down uh, to a level where I could actually sustain myself. And then um, lo and behold, I, I met someone that was able to help turn that brick and mortar business into a digitized business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still, I'm still business partners with that lady today, but we're no longer together. Uh, we're still good friends. That's good. And again, that's uh, that's amazing. That also goes to show how the type of camaraderie and the foundation as co-founders or again business partners, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, that that again built the foundation. So now you have that. What was the next step? And I'm very curious how you went back to the homeland. How did your Mindanao blood draw you all back here? Back very here? true. This is a great story. This is all. This is all interconnected. So. My business at the time, which I still am a partner of, is a is an immigration visa firm, mm-hmm. and so we do visas, Australian visas, Australian citizenship, and Australian refugee applications. Wow! And at in um, about uh, seven years ago, okay, she decided to come to the Philippines to do the outsourcing of the administrative functions of the business. Makes sense because of the yeah. BPO. Propensity here. Okay, perfect. Correct. So she actually came first before me and she was like, you know, we, we should take a punt at, at the Philippines. And I'm like, you know what? My, my mom worked her whole entire life to migrate out of the Philippines. And if I, if I tell my mom we're going back, you know, she's going to be like, what are you doing? What the hell are you doing? Why are you going back? Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, shout out to Jokwe. My, my mom very closely <laughs> resembles his mom from all of the comedies, all, all of the all, comedy all segments he has. Moms look like that. Right. <laughs> very true. Yeah. And so I, I, I ended up coming to the Philippines and mm-hmm. I never knew about this one area in the Philippines called BGC. And I, she, she moved into BGC. I'm like, oh, hang on. I can do this. Like it was like a little mini Singapore yes. in, in the middle of, of the Philippines. I'm like, okay, yes. uh, let's give this a shot. And so 
that was it. That was my uh, return to the motherland. There you go. Now, again, from that point on, I'm pretty sure, again, Australia is one of the most go-to places of the Filipino diaspora, right? They, 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 it's either, again, um, there's only a few destinations, really. U.S., U.K., especially for medical professionals, um, Dubai, Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia. Right. How did you then build traction? Because again, fish out of water. Yes, you have Filipino blood. But man, business is done different here. Right. Mm, mm-hmm. Work is done different here. How did you adjust to then again take advantage of the arbitrage? It's an arbitrage business, right? Um, the, the the costs are very low. If that was your style, then yeah, costs are gonna be very low here and you charge, you know, Australian dollars or Australian. Uh, money, right? Um, but how did you cope with the ops? Because I mean, mm-hmm. it's easy, the, the economics will make sense, but the ops, yeah. man, it's totally different. <laughs> I, I think the the biggest challenge was was managing the staff. Mm-hmm. It was it's a whole different culture. Um, you know, in Australia, you know, people are very independent at a very young age. They move yep. out of home, so. Usually when you hire staff, they're very self-sufficient, they're self-starters, you give them instructions and they just run with it because yep. uh, they've, they've been exposed to that type of environment at a very young age. Uh, the challenge in the Philippines was, you know, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And so managing staff was, was in itself a full-time job. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a huge challenge. That, that was a huge adaptation that, that me and my business partner had to make. Uh, so we had to seek out, you know, ideal um, archetypes for staff members that we wanted. And we, we learned a lot about that through some business mastery courses and some training courses from Australia. Wow. Shout out to an entrepreneur's community in Australia called The Entourage. Uh, we learned a lot of amazing skills on how to scale a business through that organization uh, run by a gentleman that had a lot of good exposure with Richard Branson's organizations in South Africa. Amazing. So he was able to educate a lot of skill sets that entrepreneurs um, can utilize in order to stabilize their business. It's, it's, yeah. it's about st- um, stability, right? <laughs> so that was the main adaptation, to be honest, was just managing the staff. But um, we kind of f- figured out the, the recipe, you know, within the first few years quite, <laughs> quite quickly. Um, I kind of had to call on call on my mom and and kind of you know reach out to relatives here and friends and you know I even though I am I grew up in Papua New Guinea in Australia I I was Filipino at home you know mm. what I mean like I, I understood the culture so mm-hmm. yeah, there was a, that warmth we really need to we just really needed to bridge the gap of bringing Correct. in the cultural dynamic into the workplace Correct. which which wasn't necessarily a problem in Australia like religion doesn't exist in the workplace in australia (laughs) but here it's just all all mixed and melded it's all together correct and again it's a big melting pot of also a bunch of other cultures too again austronesian uh spanish american and all these other influences that are here and that also comes into play with mental health now i want to understand so from this business were there any next stops before you then created mind you or is it straight up mind you now no, no, no. So the, the story continues as the story unravels. My business partner at the time, me and her went through a massive, massive, massive breakup. Okay. Um, and I don't want to get into it too, too much. You know, it's very extremely painful experience. Um, mm. But what happened was we had both 
just very temporarily returned to Australia and um, I had my first bout of um, being suicidal. Oh no. And I was extremely lucky to have been there for that experience yeah. because, you know, the, the mental health support systems in, in, in Australia, just yeah, unbelievable, absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Um, and short story is, you know, on my way to um, trying to take my own life, I kind of saw these suicide hotline numbers. Actually, they were just up on the bus stop <clears throat> at the time. Oh. And I just called, I basically called, you know, and the person on the phone just completely calmed me down, wow. booked me to see a doctor on the same day. I saw someone wow. on the same day. And then the doctor that I'd met on the same day had already given me a mental health plan and referred me to a psychologist, which I saw within 48 hours, another couple of days. Amazing. After that. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. <clears throat> and so, if we fast forward to me returning back to the Philippines to kind of come back and resettle, I came back and just by pure chance, okay. uh, a friend of mine from the gym that uh, I go to yeah. actually came to me and pitched a, a mental health idea wow. that he had. And because I had just recovered from my right. own mental health bout, it was just, it just resonated with me. And I was like, yeah. well, well, tell me more. Like, what are your goals? What is the mm -hmm. situation? Let's look at the data in the Philippines. And we looked into it and um, my God, I was just extremely shocked at the rate of suicide in the Philippines. Yep. Um, and by and large, it's very underreported. You know, the, because there's stigma. There's the stigma. And also, the, how do these government agencies here collect the data? Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't have the same systems that the developed countries like Australia have in order to re to retrieve the data from, from the community. Yeah. And so ha even having a look at the underreported numbers was shocking. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really the pivot. I was just like, you know what, this, this is, this is my calling. Like I didn't just survive for no reason. Right. This opportunity didn't just fall on my lap. Um, and it, it, it is, it became back then and it is now. And I feel like it will forever be. Uh, my mission in life is yeah. to save as many lives as possible and to create, finally, finally create a system, a healthcare system in the Philippines that can capture people that are at their breaking point or on their way to the breaking point, right? Mm. Uh, and even going as far as the preventative measures, um, because it's very fragmented here. I look at the yep. mental health industries. Clinics are competing with other clinics. Psychology associations are competing with other membership psychology associations. Yep. Governments aren't cooperating with each others with with, with with each other's programs. There's LGU yeah. programs, national programs. There's a WHO. I mean, and they're just all it doing solve their own the problem. thing. Yep. It's and this problem is systemic. Correct. And so, unless we resolve the systemic and ecosystem problems, how the hell? Are we going to catch up to all of the developed nations right. who have a secure human capital environment? Yep. You know, this is human capital. We have all of this talent in the Philippines, all these students going through education, wanting a better lifestyle, but there is no ability to, to stabilize people's mental awareness, mental stability, mental health, behavioral health. And so it's just super band-aid solutions, left, right, center. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so we've created a, a hundred year plan, mind you, wow. just so that, yeah, because, you know, when you think about it, it, it needs to be intergenerational. Like Correct. if you, if you think about organizations, just, just think about, oh, how am I going to make this successful in my own lifetime? It, it then all of a sudden becomes all about the money, it becomes about the money, it becomes about the exit, it becomes, yep, becomes about yep. the valuation and it just clouds the purpose Correct. of the organization. And so, you know, I just... I just didn't want to deal with any of that. Uh, I, I want that to be a byproduct of how successful we can be in helping people, right? And so that's that's really how, mind you, um, started. That, that those were the sparks. That was the big bang of the mind you universe. And and right that's now, amazing. you know, we're just really moving into into various areas of the community. Uh, government engagement, um, mm-hmm. getting grants in order to facilitate our infrastructure development. And and now we're just in the process of attracting talent, right? So yeah. if anyone's listening, uh, and if anyone's passionate about mental health, and you really want to change a nation, not for yourself, but for your children, and they're, they're, they're children, right? You know, I, I truly believe Filipinos are the most talented, skilled, educated, warm, cultured people on the planet. Yep. You know what I mean? And why are we not? Why are we not the king of Asia? Mm. We should be. Mm. We're in the right time zone to service both the northern and southern hemispheres. Yep. We speak great English. We've got a great base education that needs that needs more support. We need to evolve that. Obviously, um, yep. if anyone's connected with the Department of Education, please get them to connect with us because we have a lot of great ideas on how mm. we can improve education in the country. Yep. But we really need we. I see the Philippines in 10, 20 years time just being the Mecca of Southeast Asia. Absolutely. We secure our human capital. We, we secure all of our workforces. We, we become unbelievable um, contributors to the planet. Absolutely. All right. Let's take our last break. And when we come back, let's now dissect what you guys, how you built the Mind You app, Mind You team. And now you got traction over traction over traction, saving one life. Uh, or saving one employee at a time because again, I've seen this happen. And again, I'm this is not a paid ad, by the way. This is me <laughs> being a happy user because again, a healthy team, especially if you're a startup founder, yields amazing results. Especially if you're chasing metrics, if you're chasing valuations and all that stuff, you need a mentally healthy team. All right, now let's take our last break, and when we come back, let's discuss more about that. We'll talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions for liberating your time for what truly matters. 
Hey, hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. we're back in the break we are still with yuri marshall again who then told us how he was able to combat um his own battles in, uh, in, in mentally and now again this is so personal to you and again that's a that's a, the number one element of a good startup founder because if, if you're not solving a problem that's not personal to you you're eventually going to run out of passion you're going to fall out of love and you wanted to really, you know, plow through and change the system that's here. But how did you then build several things? Let's start first with the co-founding team. You can't do this alone, especially a problem this big. 
a lot of people have tried, but again, they always ended up in the, uh, being bamboozled by the bureaucracy or red tape, whatever have you. How did you build a team uh, that allowed you to create the product? Hmm. So I was very conscious about building the, building the right team from an early stage. Um, and actually, the very early stages of Mind You, uh, we, w- we were actually together with the, the, the founders and CEO of Mind Nation, actually. Mm. Um, and so we were, we were actually all together on, with, with the one idea. But there were some differences in terms of uh, the outlook or the direction yeah. or the vision of, of the original um, ideators. Okay. And uh, maybe there were some personal issues as well. Um, but, but really, when I looked at the whole situation and, and, and because of my background with my own business, and being exposed to a lot of you know personal development business training sure. and being part of an entrepreneurs community in Australia, yeah. I kind of knew that you know the recipe for success was you needed key players in, in an organization that can really drive things forward. You need someone yeah. that's a gun at sales. You need someone that's a yeah. gun at marketing. You need someone that is a gun with operations. You need a gun with the technology. Right. Um, you need great managers, you know, and so. Um, I was actually, and you need capital, and you need capital. Yes, that's the, the most other, important that's the thing. thing. <laughs> right. um, I basically, you know, you know, sort out key, key pieces. Um, another mate of mine, uh, very basically my best friend in, in Manila. Okay. Um, his name is Ben Arnold. Okay. He was going through his mental health challenges at the same time oh. as me. Okay. And so we had caught up when I had returned to the Philippines and we were having dinner and I was, I told him about this idea that someone had approached me with and he was just like, Oh my God, like we have to do this. Mm. <laughs> so um, me and Ben had already developed a really good relationship prior to then, but he basically said, look, if you need capital, let me know. So he was the, the founding um, investor uh, capital for us. Yeah. Yep. The investor. Mm-hmm. And then um, I reached out to a mate of mine who happened to be traveling uh, in the region. Okay. Uh, his name's Cameron Quinn, who is the COO of Mind You. Okay. Phenomenal background, uh, an entrepreneur from Sydney. Okay. He helped another organization there raise $350 million. What? Um, yeah, he, he had experience in the re- renewable energy space. And okay. I, I just, and I, I had known Cameron from, okay. from that group. And I was like, okay, I'm going to pitch this idea to Cameron. And, and when I did, I was just like, okay, Cameron is, he's an absolute, he's an absolute weapon when it comes to operations, when it comes to building out systems, uh, especially when it comes to building out like sales funnels and and all of that and building relationships really comes from an authentic place. He came on board. So we had Ben, the the initial investor, we had Cameron coming on board a CEO, a COO, pardon me, Yep. I had all of my experience um, in place. Then we brought on two of the ideators from the original idea, which is Michael Needham and Mark Miguel. Both have wow. amazing skill sets. Uh, Mark had a UX and UI design experience from Canada. He's Perfect. Canadian Filipino. Mm-hmm. He was working for med tech companies in Canada. So mm-hmm. all of the design language that you see on the website, it's, yep. it's all from Mark. Nice. Um, and then, you know, Michael Needham, his, one of his strengths is such a phenomenal networker. So being able to connect mm. us with various people um, just in the country. 
and then the last piece of the last piece of the puzzle was one of good one of one of my best mates in Australia. He's actually Jamaican Australian. Okay. And he was the senior senior IT uh, manager for Queensland Health um, back in uh, Brisbane. Okay. And so when I pitched the idea to him, I'm like, "Hey, uh, I think you'd be really good in the role of CTO." Right. This is like uh, you doing the new Nick Fury here, uh, assembling the Avengers one <laughs> one guy at a time and doing this. So obviously, the end end result is you got the Avengers assembled. But again. <laughs> These guys are also hustlers in their own right. How did you build the initial product and how did you get to selling? Because again, you guys, sure. I, I think the, this team that you assembled are not rookies anymore. They're no. excellent people in their own right. And again, they're, you, you built the superstar team built to scale and built mm-hmm. to, to build revenue fast. How did you build enough traction in the product that needed um, to, to, to scale that up? So we understood as a group that, you know, one of the number one factors for businesses failing is lack of revenue yes. and also for overspending in the early days. Mm. So we really, we really had the mindset of we needed to be as lean as possible. So with the MVP, we decided like, what, what are the minimum things that we need on this platform in order to service an organization? And we wanted to do it at a standard that wasn't yet available in the Philippines. We wanted to make sure that we had a very high level of data privacy. We wanted yes. to make sure the platform was HIPAA compliant. Uh, we wanted to make sure that there was a lot of destigmatization um, uh, measures in place. So, for example, with MindJew, we are external to every organization client. Yeah, it, it allows the employees to contact us externally without having to contact their HR. Correct. You know, because who would want to do that? Who's gonna Who's want to go to contact their own? HR and go, yo, I'm struggling at work because of mental health issues. I can't come to work. They're going to be afraid of losing their job exactly. right? or being judged. Yes. Um, so we had all of these ideas that we wanted to embed. And so we're like, okay, we're going to build this platform as cost effectively as possible. So we went out to market. Uh, we got quotes, as many quotes as we could. We met all of the development teams just to judge whether they could do it or not. Uh, and we were very intelligent. We gave them a scope of work. You know, we gave right. them a timeline. We put penalties into the contracts just to ensure that we can get the the, the MVP out in time. And an and, um, interesting story is one of our our very first hire was our very first salesperson. Wow. Who is now Most head of our sales department. Thing. There you go. Super important. Very fortunate. Um, well, I had to stop saying fortunate. I feel like it's very... Um, uh, very synchronous, almost. The universe had <laughs> yes. made this all happen. Yeah, she she ended up coming on board, and she she closed our very first client, which was actually SM Supermalls. What? So, <clears throat> what first client SM? How first many, client. How many company? How many employees <laughs> do they even have? Are you kidding me? And this is first, during what year client. was this when you first closed this? So this was in the middle of the pandemic. Oh my God. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Cause what happened was just, it was um, December before the pandemic hit in March, okay. we were having these ideations and this is when I decided, okay, I'm going to come on board, yeah. started bringing the pieces together. March, came, uh, sorry, January, February came around and mm. I was volunteering my office space to kind of like, you, right. know, you know, use as working space. And then the pandemic hit. And then it went to this massive lockdown and we're like, okay, well, we have to continue. Mm. We have to continue because we, we already got the pieces in place. And one of my mates, which is Cameron, actually made the move to, 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 
moved to the Philippines. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, we, we met challenge after challenge run, honestly. Yeah. Um, but because we had so much good experience, uh, we knew how to build out systems and sales funnels and, and create amazing conversations uh, or frameworks for conversations. We, we were able to secure that, that first contract. And, and th- that was the beginning. And from that and that's on, the from most that point important onwards, contract, right? Everybody's gunning for that stuff. Right? The most, yeah. But one thing about big companies, again, having an experience with SM, and I wanted to know this because they're, they also have a rep sometimes that they don't pay on time. How did you make sure that, you know, with SM, yes, great luminary contract. And you just say, hey, SM's using us. And you can literally just pedal that around like, hey, SM's using us, SM's using us, blah, blah, blah. But cash flow is different. Cash flow I mean, is a totally different uh, thing. That's fair. And I think a lot of those, um, a lot of those rumors were percolating, you know, um, but, but, but the thing is our experience with them was very seamless. I, I really put, I take my hat off to to SM. Now I, I don't know whether that's because, you know, we had just such a great communication style with our customer service, with our sales process made it so seamless. And because we had such an international standard of how we built out the contracts, how we negotiated the terms and the clauses in the contract. Nice. Very well aware of that. So even during the times when they wanted to push back on some some terms. And they will you know, push back if they can. I've seen them do that. Very professional. They're very, very professional. I, I got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, SM Super Moles and SM overall as a brand have been very supportive in the mental health space. Yeah. You know, I, I recently actually had a meeting with Chico C, uh, the president of SMEDD. Wow. And he, he is he's going to be a champion for mental health. I think in the SM group, you know, he's, uh, they, they had a recent loss uh, in their organization because of, oh because of um, something uh, quite, quite disturbing yeah. uh, in the mental health space. And so we're, we're there to be basically helping that entire organization secure their human capital and, and, and turn around, um, right. you know, their businesses. Yeah. And, and grow. Uh, so yeah, that experience was actually quite, quite seamless and quite effortless. And we had a lot of learnings, obviously, that flowed on to all of our other engagements with other clients. Mm-hmm. Now, SM, walk me through that snowball effect. How did it go from SM to, man, everybody's using you, Gcash, everybody, Globe. Everybody, so here's one the of thing. your neighbors in BGC, as I see that in your building right now, I think a bunch of them are now using MindU and all the way down to startup land like us. Fair enough. Now, here's the thing, though. Like, I personally... And as a group, didn't want to, we didn't want to use our clients' brands to close other clients, mm. right? Um, our competitors at the time, you know, they would get a client and flash the badge or flash the logo on their website. Yeah. Now the thing is, like, mental health is a very private yeah. kind of engagement. Yeah. You know, and so we, we decided to keep the website nice and clean at the time. And we, we just wanted to completely sell the service. We wanted to have a conversation, not about our other clients. We wanted to have a converse, conversation with what is the problem that your organization is going through and how can we help? And we used, a, we used a lot of data. We used a lot of studies. We, we built a really amazing science board advisory as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we weren't just a bunch of entrepreneurs trying to deliver mental health in the country. We had right. experts in the field. A neuropsychiatrist from Chicago came on our science board advisory. Wow. We had uh, a UP lecturer, one of the mothers of psychology on our science board advisory as well. Nice. And we had someone that was an expert in the psychometric um, assessment field. 
So we really just, we were really just in problem solving mode and just carry that conversation. All right. Now, again, that that's supply, right? Supply. I mean, the demand side, technically, you know, eventually you hustle through it, you, you reach a tipping point, And again, you get mass adaption. And again, you guys are doing an amazing job, but you can't be getting all those clients and all these, uh, you know, uh, employees that you're trying to help if you don't have enough supply of mental health professionals that are going to be able mm. to, uh, to, to sustain and provide quality service to those people that need it the most. How are you able to then create that supply? Because again, if, you, if there's imbalance in both, there's going to be problems. Mm. So, so for us, uh, we, we decided to ensure that we have a very, very strong and sustainable and supportive internal culture. So when we started to actually hire psychologists, they became a priority. Like, how do we ensure that they feel stable in their income? They feel stable in whatever training and support they require. Um, and we had an attraction model with how we were going to attract employees. Got it. Right. And so it, it kind of just naturally or and organically um, grew okay. because when psychologists real, like when the word got out that we were taking care of our psychologists really well, we're paying yeah. them well. We were taking care of them, giving them training, giving them mental health leave, um, and all that. All of that evolved in pieces. It wasn't perfect in the beginning, right? But the ones that came on really early and made the sacrifice, they understood the mission. Yeah. They understood the mission, and the mission really stood out. And we were very, very passionate and almost, almost deliberately um, aggressive with our mission. Like wow. it was, it was very meaningful. Here. Very, very meaningful. And so they bought into the they bought into the mission, and the mission is now theirs, nice. right? The, the mission stands on its own, and it, it now is evolving. Like mind you, is its own, you know, organism now. And really, we are all like even myself. I'm at service to the organization so that it can continue to actually create impact. Got it. Now let's zero in. Last few questions. Let's zero in further on the real problem at hand. With whatever mm-hmm. you can say, without revealing too much, right? Because at the end of the day, the elephant in the room is mental health has been swept under the rug, especially in the workplace, where it's probably the one number one contributor of mental health or stress or whatever have you, uh, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Can you just share some numbers that, again, high level, you don't have to zero in because, again, you don't want to get uh, you know, the, the privacy policy and whatnot. How big is this problem? that most companies are, again, not paying so much attention to because everybody's trying to solve this problem. I see there's so many podcasts out there that are saying mental health, but this is a medical issue, not just a random, hey, let me help you with your mental health. And who am I? I'm not a medical health professional. That doesn't make sense. This is a medical Mm -hmm. issue. And if there's something medical, it's scientific by default. But how big is this and what are the typical or what are the multiple mini elephants in the room that they're not being addressed by companies that we need to focus in? Share some numbers and what are these topics? Um, okay, so let's let's start with the problem that companies are experiencing. First of all, I just want to acknowledge that uh, one of the main hurdles in the Philippines is, is purely just a lack of education and awareness of how mental health actually impacts organizations. Right up, up until just a few years ago, obviously there was the mental health bill that was introduced and written by Senator Hontiveros. Mm-hmm. 
designed so that businesses have to actually pay attention to their staff's mental health. So we actually discovered a study from PwC that that showed that there was an actual return on investment if organizations invested into their staff's mental health because there are huge correlations. If someone's feeling anxious or depressed in an organization, it directly affects their productivity, right? Mm. So one of the things that we had to really curb was was the conversation to organizations about their productivity, right? Do they know how their productivity is being impacted by their personnel's uh, wellness, right? And so there's, there's productivity, there's absenteeism, and there's presenteeism. Presenteeism is one of those terms that isn't widely known, mm. but basically what it is, is you're at work, you're physically at work, but you're, you're absent. You know, you're on Facebook, you're not really doing your work or you're doing a project at half pace because you're thinking about problem at home, Mm. right? Or you're thinking about how your boss hates you. And so there's a number of different things going through the motions. And and there's also other stigmas. There's generational stigmas. Mm. You know, you might have a middle manager that doesn't believe in mental health. So you go train your staff about Mm. it, but they come back into the environment and then you have a middle manager that's just like, oh my God, they just went to some hippie mental health thing. Right. And so... We needed to to convince employers that this is not just about your staff. This is leadership and management training. We need to change the the, the mindset of the leadership and managers. And so, I, unfortunately, I am not privy to share a lot of the corporate okay, we can't. data. Right, let's not. However, okay. mm-hmm. however, we will be releasing some things. I think in the coming uh, months or the coming quarters, sure. where uh, we get permission from from organizations organizations to share. But, but what I can share, for example, like uh, according to the WHO, WHO data, there's 3.3 million people in the Philippines uh, that have depression, 3.17 million people with anxiety. Wow. And if you look at the suicide rate, you know, it's, it's almost doubled. And in some, some studies tripled during the pandemic, okay. suicide rates. Um, and so these are highly alarming. And, and it's, this is underreported data. So the numbers are probably much higher Absolutely. Uh, considering all of the challenges that we're trying to, trying to go through amidst the pandemic. So it's, it's, it's much worse than what people realize. Mm-hmm. And this is the other problem, Ron, is that a lot of this data exists, right? But it exists among the academics or, uh, or, or amongst the people that, are, you know, that, that do value mental health. Got it. But what, about the, what about the average Filipino that's, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't know anything about mental health? Makes sense. They're not speaking to psychologists or psychiatrists. They're not looking up all this, all of this data. Mm. And so they're still in their little bubble with heaps of cultural stigmas, generational stigmas. Um, they're, the, they're the people that we actually need to educate and uh, build awareness for. They're the main priority. All right. Last few questions. Now, how do you bridge that feedback loop? Because, again, you have that data now, right? And, again, you don't want to narc your... Your, your, your patients out like, oh, this guy has a whatever issue huh, with your whatever. Of course, you got you to gotta make them that data safe. But more than anything, to really make real impact, you don't, the, the, the reason I, and again, coming from a, from a client or a user of MindU, the objective of why we want to sign up to MindU like this is because we want to be able to know the changes we need to do in order to not keep the making the same routinary strain among our employees. Right, because we want to make sure that it's a good place to work. Actually, not good, great place to work. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And you need to do that and we need to be adaptable to the type of personnel you have. We can't be like, oh, this is how we do things. You adjust to our system. It's different, especially now there's multi-generational things. We're not just millennials in the workplace. There's a lot of Gen Zs in here. And again, Gen Xs and some boomers. So that diverse four-generational gap, that's a lot of things that you're going to have to meddle with and people cope differently. But at the end of the day, it's that feedback mechanism that we need in order to really cope with the personnel that you have. How do you bridge that gap then? You know, it's, it's systemic, right? So we've created systems in place. So for, I'll give you an example. So we, with our users, um, we have rapid feedback response systems. So if our users have any feedback that they deliver to us, we're very quick to respond. We're very quick to pivot the service or the customer service. And we allow, we allow our um, learnings to flow into the product or flow sure. into the service itself. So number one, uh, we have a very demand paradigm, uh, sorry, demand-driven paradigm of how we respond to clients. So we don't pretend like we have a, the perfect product or the perfect service, and we don't create them as such. So we sell something that we think that they're going to like. What we do is we like to survey our clients. We like to ask them questions. We interview them. Again, and this is a shout out. To, uh, this is a message to all entrepreneurs that, that are in the hustle game. You need to pay attention to your buyer. You need to pay attention to your client. You cannot always be in this ideation um, fantasy where you've fallen in love with your product or service. You have to go to market and run the surveys, run the interviews and find out what do they want? What do they need? What is the problem that they're experiencing so that you can solve the problem? And that's all, that problem is always going to change. Right. Just like the market does. The market's always shifting and moving. There's heaps of market forces. There's going to be heaps of moving forces when it comes to your clientele. Mm-hmm. And so for us, having that demand-driven um, paradigm or that framework, we're very, very highly responsive. And so it, it makes us very good problem solvers. That's and amazing. so as we solve problems, we, come, we become better learners. We become better implementers. And we're just, I mean, we're growing quite organically. I, I guess we, we, we have adapted to a lot of uh, nature's natural strategies on, on how yeah. things evolve naturally. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mother Nature. <laughs> if you want clues <laughs> on how to run your business well, you just have to look at nature. You know, nature has resolved a lot of these problems right. already. And if you look at the, the, the systems that already exist in the world and mm-hmm. apply those systems within an organization with a lot of moving parts, a lot of personalities, a lot of cultures, you know, there's a lot of takeaways uh, that you can yeah. adapt. That is amazing. Thank you very much, Yuri, for such an amazing and again, very refreshing episode that we've had here. But before I let you go, if people want to sign up and again, they're sold. Let me plug that sold into you. And again, very happy a subscriber to mind you. Where did they go and how did they do that? So, you know, if, if you're curious and you want to just learn more, uh, that's the starting point. You've got to really educate yourself about all of this stuff about mental health. Uh, visit our website, mindyou.com.ph or jump on our Instagram page at mindyoumhs, which is Mind You Mental Health Systems. Uh, there's a lot of content there to digest. So, you know, my message is put yourself first. You know, your, your mental health is about you as an individual. And then when you are able to be in a place where you have your own personal individual stability and confidence, you can then start to help the people around you. Uh, and that's the, that's the goal. We need to be a, a Filipino community nationwide that helps each other. 
we gotta stop com- like with this competitive mindset. It's very, it's there's to- there's healthy com- competition, then there's toxic competition. Yes. Right. And and then unless we can turn that corner, uh, you know, as as a nation and even in a, in our business ecosystem, that's what's holding us back. You know, if, if we can turn sound. that corner, right? Yo, uh, I'm a big believer. We can we can do this, Philippines. Like you know. We need we we deserve to be the mecca of Asia, and so let's evolve. Absolutely, and again, it, again, it's also systemic in the culture. It's not some our, our, one of our worst traits as a, as a people is that again we um, we think everything's binary. That it's, if you're not red, you're blue or whatever. So you know, there's it's not zero sum. There's always a middle ground. In that middle ground is cooperation. Again, thank you very much, Yuri. But before I let you go, follow us through whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any type of podcast app. If you see any star rating there, especially on Spotify, please give us a five star so that you also get feedback and whatnot. And again, it's not just this podcast that you should listen to. We have a collab with Mind You. It's called the Open Mind Podcast with Liza Soberano. It's a collaboration between us, Podcast Network Asia. And also, mind you, so to help you cope and see how we can get that done. And again, if we did say some jargon, it's going to be in show notes on hustleshare.com. And if you want to be part of our community, it's going to be in hustleshare community on Facebook. Again, Yuri, thank you very much. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it, mate. All right. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.